Dear Talkspace, we are pleased to advise you that your request for an extension has been approved. Morning, morning, strangers. I am so, so sorry. I disappeared off the face of the earth for two weeks there. I decided that I didn't love you enough to get in the way of my holidays. So, listeners, I apologize. It's Ben, obviously, on Talker Space Approved Extension. And I have decided to treat you guys for my coming back, my homecoming, if you will episode. I've invited someone that's very, very special to me and someone that I love very, very much, Miss Emily, to t- to start to do the debut of a new series that I'm thinking of starting here on Talkerspace Approved Extension. Emily, what are we going to be discussing today? So we are going to be talking about speech pathology. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to be talking pretty much an extended version of a day in the life. We're going to do the uni degree in the life of and certain students. So Emily here is studying speech pathology, which I feel like I hear quite a bit about in my circle of friends, actually. But I don't know if anyone else hears a lot about it. So I'm going to clue everyone else in about speech pathology. So I actually had no idea what a speech pathologist was either, mm. um, until I started studying and I had a few other friends. Actually, yeah, because I don't think I know that about you so when because you will will give a little bit of context around you so what what's your uni life like where did you start with uni so I actually started uni in 2017 um I started in a bachelor of psychology and I did that for a few years and then decided that maybe I was a little bit too unstable to be a psychologist (laughs) so I decided to change my degree in 2020 Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in my third year of speech at the moment. I split my third year into two. Um, and yeah, so my first year, I loved it. It was very anatomy and physiology heavy, which wasn't really, it was more difficult than I anticipated, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of brain anatomy and physiology that was kind of relevant but then there was other physiology that really was not relevant and I was like why am I even doing this (laughs) um yeah my third year now I've done a few placements but I'm still yet to do my big heavy block placements so that will be very interesting and very nerve-wracking I bet very very nerve-wracking it is like I've done a lot of work with kids Mm. um but I'm got an adult placement coming up which just seems terrifying <laughs> bigger really and scarier honest. patients so scary. <laughs> I feel like a child myself to be honest I'm like mm. how am I meant to treat these people when I'm a child that's so interesting my sister so she's a physiotherapist mm-hmm. and she had the same experience so she's just gone into I think her second year of being a practicing physiotherapist mm-hmm. And she said one of the biggest things to overcome was the fact of telling older people what to do. Like, because obviously you're smarter than them in that field. Yeah. And like overcoming, like, I actually know better than you. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like that imposter syndrome mm. that I get. I'll be, you know, spilling off things that I know. And I know I know quite a lot about it because mm. I've been at uni for 
millions of years. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's still that, you know, you're looking at this older person and they're kind of looking at you like, you know, do you really know what you're doing? And mm. I have quite a young face as well. So it's, it's quite difficult. So in some ways, I am kind of glad that I'm graduating, quote unquote, later than other people in that sense, because maybe I look a bit more mature. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll see. I might not age until 40 and, you know, that's all right with me. It's mm. kind of good. <laughs> so you mentioned you started in a different degree mm-hmm. and came across speech through friends. Was that your first, like, interaction with the idea of speech pathology? Yeah, so my sister, when we were young, had a bit of, like, a few speech impediments and Mm. there was, like, recommendations for maybe seeing a speechy, but it was never really followed through. Mm. Um, And I'd heard about it on the grapevine with, you know, people that had... um, ASD or like some disability and they that would be part of their care team but I'd never really interacted and knew exactly what they did like I thought it was maybe just stuttering and lisps like everyone else yeah because that was my first um like concept of the idea of speech pathology was like because I had uh, quite a few friends in primary school who had speech impediments Mm. And they mentioned that that was what speech pathologists do. But it's actually quite a bit more extensive than that. It is. (laughs) Stuttering and lisping is a part of it. Um, I've seen kids with both and I've studied both, obviously. But it's really it's a lot more about language and voice and swallowing in older patients Um, And the language side of things is honestly probably 80% of what we do with kids because if they have an intellectual disability or if they have um, a speech impediment, it's more than likely they're going to have a language impairment as well. Mm. Um, And that's quite difficult because language is a grey area. There's certain milestones you need to hit as a child to reach your full language potential as an adult, but every child presents differently. And with kids, you know, they're not going to get anything done by just, you know, doing the normal things you would do with an adult in therapy, like writing and, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. You need to play with them. And I wasn't really prepared for that as much. Like, I like kids, but I was never one of those people (laughs) (laughs) as a babysitter, you know, that would be like, oh, my gosh, I love playing with these kids and everything. See, I, um, every time you talk about dealing with children, I... (laughs) Even you just saying children, like, you're so, like, oh, averse to it. I can't, like, I, I, I can't remember if it was you I was talking to it about, but a couple of days ago, just children, I can't interact with them on that play basis. I'm someone that talks to children as if they're adults and I get frustrated when they don't respond (laughs) as an adult (laughs) yeah exactly like I think I was also talking about like my sense of humor Mm -hmm. and I'm quite a sarcastic person and I always forget that children don't necessarily understand sarcasm I know and I frequently make them cry because (laughs) I I insult them to their face Oh, my God, Ben. So, props to you for dealing with children. (laughs) Yeah, look, I will say I've gotten a lot better. I deal Mm. with older children more. Like, I prefer working with older children or seeing older children. Um, And that's probably just because I understand them a little bit more. Like, you know, they're a bit more online so we can joke about memes and (laughs) they'll say things that I actually understand. Yeah. Um, But younger kids, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't care about 
Bluey. I don't really know what's going on with that. How dare you say that? Bluey is an icon. I know. I know. Trigger warning. A national treasure. <laughs> Bluey's house actually was really close to my house before. Mm, yeah, I sold for millions and millions of dollars. Crazy. Squillions, if Squillions. you will. Squillions. <laughs> So back to what um, are the other things that speech pathologists do? Mm-hmm. Run me through like the extensive range of things because there's so many different um, reasons that someone will come and see a speech pathologist. Yeah, so there's they call them the domains, I guess, of speech and language. So there's that's fancy. I, know, I like that. I know it is <laughs> fancy. That's what you get when you study in all. Allied health degree. You get all this fancy terminology. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so you have your speech and language. So speech is just the way that, you know, your voice sounds, like the way that you say sounds. Um, And then language is, you know, how your sentences are structured, whether you can understand tense um, and grammar and everything. And then there's voice which is how your voice actually sounds when it comes out. So people might have a hoarse voice or they might be really soft or um, have low breath support. Um, then there's prosody, which is like the, how high or low your voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously there's the fluency, which is where your stuttering comes in and all of that. So a lisp would fall under a speech impediment. And then language, there's different kind of levels of your language impairment that you have so there's a disorder or there can be a um, delay so the difference between them a disorder is something that a delay that's lasted over like a longer period of time and you won't ever necessarily recover fully from whereas a delay is usually fixed and there's lots and lots of children that come in with a delay like it's very very common Mm. um I would say the main focus is speech and language and voice. We've done a lot more fluency in later years, but it's one of those complicated realms <laughs> of what we study. <laughs> like, there's no one fix because, you know, that's the thing with an allied health profession is every patient is going to be completely different. So And like respond to different techniques and stuff. Yes, mm. exactly. So you kind of need to know them fully as a picture and there's a, there's a lot of testing out different therapy approaches which can feel quite discouraging sometimes because mm. you're like, oh no, what if I'm just bad? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh my goodness. So when you... <laughs> One of the things I've always heard about speech pathology students is when you're learning about, obviously, the different domains, Mm -hmm. that you listen to people's voices, like, just in your day-to-day social life. Do you do that and, like, analyse and be like, I could fix that? Yeah. I I actually definitely notice it a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... A blessing and a curse, (laughs) because it's kind of cool, you know, being able to put names to things and being like, oh, like, this is how I would treat that, or this is what I would do. But then it's also like, damn, like, I don't really want to be noticing this all the time, because it makes (laughs) you feel like a bad person. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I'm not going to, you know, if you came to me and you had a speech impediment, that would literally be all I hear. (laughs) And I'd be like, I can't deal with talking to you right now. Did you used to do the same thing with psychology? 
Yeah, so I feel like I was always someone that analysed people a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit of an overthinker. But <laughs> a criminal overthinker, <laughs> oh some would say. Literally, lock me up. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely did. And I got really into things like attachment theory and stuff. Mm. So I would kind of relate it a lot back to relationships with parents and then the relationships now. Um, but honestly, psychology really helped me in in speech because a lot of that comes into it like you know how you think how you act whether or not because in hand in hand with things like disabilities or speech impediments is a lot of psychological and mental health issues as well so I feel like me doing that probably helped (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna say that because that would make my eight years at uni worth it Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so going back to um like listening to people's voices. I don't think I've ever asked you this. What What do you think of my voice as a speech pathology student? I think that you have a beautiful voice, Benny. You've got <laughs> great enunciation. Thank you. Which is awesome. And your tone is perfect. You have quite a loud voice. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad thing. It is a beautiful, great thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I literally have never picked anything up that is different about your voice. Oh my goodness, I have the perfect voice. (laughs) You do, so you can add that to your resume, a bit of a flex, Mm. if I do say so myself. (laughs) I have to say, I think I did work on it quite a bit, because I never saw a speech pathologist, but like being a um, singer and then musical Mm. theatre, like, person as well you do all of that the elocution yes and everything like that well singing is actually one of the best things for people with speech impairments actually that's something interesting because then it also extends to not just speech impediments but other well is um Tourette's that's not a speech impediment is it no they can have speech impediments like coinciding we call that a secondary disorder um but I think I kind of know where you're going with that because things with like stuttering, mm. when people sing, they don't stutter. Yeah. And that is because they use a different part of their brain. So that's probably what you're thinking in the Tourette's realm as well. Yeah. Mm. Which is really interesting. I haven't done too much looking into that, but it is just like a completely different part of your brain. It's using the mu- more musical, creative side, whereas your language center in your brain is on a completely different side oh yeah that's so interesting it is really interesting like i find all of that stuff really cool like the study of the brain and where everything is and why different connections make different things happen Mm. it's very complex i will say and when you actually look at a brain that doesn't really give any information away because it just looks like a bundle of (laughs) mess really (laughs) but then the diagrams online that are pictured and numbered you're like oh okay this makes sense now (laughs) talking about other sort of interesting phenomenons you i remember you mentioning um a very rare case of um, you came across a child that woke up with a different accent. Yes. Can you? So I remember we discussed this. I was, um, what's the word? 
I got to, I, I was inebriated at the time, yeah. so I can't really remember that much about it. Like, mm-hmm. run me through that experience. So that is something called foreign accent disorder. It is very, very uncommon. Don't really know why it happens. Um, it's similar to stuttering. Like, you can literally go to bed and wake up and have a stutter. Like, you can go to bed and wake up and just have a different accent. We think that there's something in the brain messaging that changes, which causes you... It's like there's nothing else that changes. You don't think that you're from that country. You know everything about your life. It's just like you just wake up with an Indian accent, which is what happened with this child. She was an Australian child and she woke up and she had an Indian accent. It's like... Yeah, I remember thinking it over and over, and I'm, like, I obviously have no expertise in the field, but, like, would it be something where your brain's telling you to move your mouth in a certain way? Because that's, like, how accents develop, like, where you sort of throw your voice in your mouth, how you move your lips and your tongue and everything, right? Yeah, so it would probably be a problem with your brain telling your certain mouth muscles to move um, and that's your oromotor so treatment for that would be oromotor which is we would do an oromotor exam so we would look at your muscles in your mouth and how they move and whether or not they've just lost muscle tone or something like that could have happened and then it sounds like a different accent or it could be your brain have having heard that accent maybe a while ago it doesn't matter when and then something clicks Mm. and all of the messaging to those muscles changes. It's very weird. So, because you mentioned that this child that you've personally come across didn't have, had never come across an Indian accent or something like that, did you say? Yeah, so this is this is why this was very, very, very random. And my it was my prac educator at the time, and she was like, I've literally come across this once in my career, and it was with an adult. See, and that's the thing, like, you remember, I remember you saying that, it's just, like, it's incredibly rare for you as a student to come across it, not even, like, really starting your career (laughs) yet. Very rare. I was, like, (laughs) thrown in the deep end and, like, literally drowning in there because, you know, even, even really seasoned speeches have trouble with that side of it because it is so rare, so we're not really, it's kind of skimmed over in lectures, you know, they say a little bit about it, but... There's not much treatment um, taught to us. Or is it so? Is it fixable? It is fixable. Um, it's just, it's really just strenuous therapy. <laughs> yeah. And kids respond a lot to hearing. So the way that language is developed is they hear you talking to them, which is why it's so important for you to talk to your child a lot, even if they don't have any words. And that can be in that we call it parentese which is that baby voice that you hear people talk to babies in. Actually really helpful. Interesting. <laughs> I know. You know, it's... and I. So if I was a parent and I didn't <laughs> use baby voice, would that be detrimental to my child? It may not be detrimental, but your child might not pick up language as well as maybe some other children. Interesting. So you talking to children like an adult <laughs> is probably not the best thing to do. <laughs> Okay, no, noted. <laughs> um, but yeah, so therapy for that would really just look like us talking to them a lot. They would hear how our voice sounds and how people around them sound. 
um, and then we would teach them how to move their mouth in a certain way to make the Australian accent. It's actually very interesting because speech therapy in other countries is different to speech here. In Australia? Yeah. So if I move to America, for example, because under there's like a legislation where different speeches can work in different countries. Um, if I were to move to America and start working with kids or adults, I would then have to adjust my own voice to give them speech therapy. Oh my God, and start talking with an American yes. accent. So, you know, you, you enunciate your R's instead of R, like Australian. Yeah. Because then you just end up them having this weird mix between an American and Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting that you say that because I remember watching this hilarious... Um, comedian and she was an ESL student Mm. and she was talking about her life as an ESL student so she I think she said she was Brazilian or something and um, she had a Russian ESL teacher so she developed like even though she was speaking English it was English with a Russian accent oh my gosh it's (laughs) so funny it's so interesting Mm. Well, it's actually, I feel like, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. So I grew up in the Middle East Mm -hmm. as a child. So from about, like, since I was born until I was about four years old. And I went to an international school. Mm -hmm. And so with that came, obviously, people from all over the world in the same school and, like, different teachers teaching Mm -hmm. different classes. Me and my two siblings ended up with three different accents. That is so weird. Yeah. So Lauren, my older sister, had a British accent. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an American accent. And then Matthew, because he hadn't really gone to school yet, ended up with the Australian Ocker. Yeah. <laughs> Being around mum and dad all the time as well. Which is... Crazy. I know. It's a very funny thing, like, looking back on family videos. Accents? <laughs> accents are one of those things that are really interesting. So... I, we learn a bit about it mm. in speech. Like, if you develop an accent at 12, if you have a different accent to the country that you're living in, it's more than likely that that accent will continue on. It'll probably get a bit less, but you won't pick up the country's accent that you're in as easily as a child would. Mm. So an example of that would be me. I moved to Australia when I was just, like, just before I was 12, and I had a pretty thick south african accent with a little bit of posh english thrown in there (laughs) (laughs) so it was very interesting Mm. um and i went to school here and my accent didn't change over to an australian accent for about two years which in the in the scheme of accent changes is very long usually it happens quite quickly especially with kids like my sister had a very posh english accent when we moved here (laughs) and literally within a few months it was like gone australian like super (laughs) and even now like when i talk to really true blue aussies especially when when we worked in hospital at the cafe um they'd be like oh where are you from like you know you sound a bit different Okay, "Hmm." interesting that you say that. I was talking... Actually, I've had a very speech impediment, speech pathology week. So I was talking um, to one of my co-workers about this, and she was talking about a speech impediment that she had as a child, Mm -hmm. and I was being mean and teasing her about (laughs) it. And we just got to talking more and more about it. She said the same thing to me. She was just like, you don't sound 
to Australian or something like that. And she was just like, it's interesting. You know <laughs> what I think it is, is Australians don't enunciate much. Mm. Um, and my mum from a really young age was like, say your word, say every single letter in the word. So, so do you reckon that's what it is? Yeah, it's just me pronouncing. Yeah, mm. I think so. Because you do, and it sounds very good, but, you know, some other <laughs> Australians, <laughs> you know, you can't even hear a lot of what they're saying. Mm. So, I don't know. We're just posher than everyone else. <laughs> As I say that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's, it is. It's very, very interesting. It is interesting. I never would have thought about going into this field mm. until, you know, I'd done my few years at uni already and the only reason I went in actually is because I saw someone else that had gone to my high school who I kind of knew in the grade above me really love it Mm. she'd posted about it a few times and I was like this is really interesting it was between speech and being an English high school teacher Mm. oh okay you would suit that (laughs) I know but also you'd suit the vibe I don't know if you'd enjoy the work (laughs) I don't know if I would enjoy the work either I think that I'm a bit too sensitive for high school students I think they might cut me down (laughs) yeah you would not survive (laughs) I would not survive in a high school I have a lot of high school teacher friends I respect to them could never be me So when you start Speechy, you were mentioning before about anatomy and everything mm. about that. One of the most interesting things to me about students that have to study anatomy across all of the health um, and allied health professions mm. is the fact that you're dealing with cadavers. Yes. I I don't think I've ever really discussed this with you, have I? No, I don't think so. <laughs> what was it like? Like, what was your first experience? Um, I was... Very oh, scared. For listeners out there, cadavers is dead bodies, just yes. so you know. <laughs> yes. So they're donated to the uni usually. So before you die, you say whether or not you want to donate your body to science. Um, Would you ever do that? I've thought about this before. My opinion kind of changed after actually doing anatomy. For the better or the, for the worse? For the worse. <laughs> oh my God. So my dad really wants to donate. Um, to science Mm. and I it's a different thing from being an organ donor isn't it yeah so if you are an organ donor usually your organs like you'll be both because your organs will go to you know the ones that are salvageable you'll Mm. donate those and then the rest will be donated to science so it kind of depends what's viable and what's not um but yeah my first experience was terrifying I had no idea what to expect. Um, it's very, very clinical, extremely like hygienic. So there's this thing, I study at UQ. So there's a whole building dedicated to cadavers. Um, and you go down, you have to wait outside until literally the minute in your lab coats, you have gloves, you have protective glasses on, you have a mask, like you have all the works on. You go in, there's washing basins like you see in those surgery Scenes. Oh my god, like Grey's Anatomy. Like Literally. the big deep sinks and they're like yeah. scrubbing up to their and elbows. You have to, and you have to do it for a certain amount of time and then you have to go into the room in a very orderly fashion. And part of that is about 
um, hygiene and being clinical and stuff. But the other part of it is about respect mm. because uni puts a lot of that on the students. Like there's no phones in there. You can't, if they hear you talking about the cadavers in a bad way, like you're going to get, you, you, you might even be expelled from the uni. Like it's taken very seriously. That's good. Which is good. Um, but the actual cadavers themselves weren't that bad to be honest I was expecting a lot worse but I think and this might sound a bit uh, you know morbid morbid but it's not a body like when you look at it it doesn't look necessarily like a human body if that makes sense because do you get them like sectioned up yeah Mm. so what we might look at is a certain organ or we might look at and a muscle um you're very rarely gonna see something with all of the skin on it so it doesn't necessarily look like an arm or a leg or a chest or whatever you can see is it hard to like remember that that was a human being yeah when it's like that yeah at first it i would say at first it was definitely like kind of hard to separate the fact that it was a human from the clinical like practical side of it but after you've done it a couple of times super second nature Um, And the only thing I will say is weird is in this particular building that we have at UQ, the way that they set it up is they have the cadaver things that we're looking at on the tables that day. But then they also have like a wall with lots of other stuff that we don't look up, look at. And on there might be things like fetuses. There's like (laughs) eyes, there's different parts of the head. Um, and maybe a bit more like jarring things than we're used to seeing. Because mm-hmm. um, what we looked at in speech was a lot of muscles and the lungs and the trache- the trachea and larynx and pharynx and tongues and all of that fun stuff. We had a look at the other muscles as well, like in the legs and arms and torso. But a lot of it was focused on the respiratory system, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little bit less intense than other ones. Um, there was definitely some things that we saw that were like probably not repeatable <laughs> because they were a bit intense. Mm-hmm. Um, all in all, it was better than I thought. We never ever had to do any dissections, which oh, so you never had to touch anything. Well, we did have we we did have to touch them, but oh. we never had to cut them or do anything like that because that's kind of reserved for medical students um because they're the ones that are actually going to be you know dissecting and things like that nurses nursing students might as well but the thing with speech the most kind of surgical or practical work that you're going to be doing is oromotor exams swallowing exams and briefing for um laryngoscopy which is when there's like the tube put in your larynx with things like throat cancer and swallowing disorders and stuff so we didn't need to get briefed on all of that which is good because I don't think that would have necessarily been my thing um we have had a few fainters in the labs that's what I was gonna say Lauren because being a physio she had to do deal with cadavers as well for anatomy Mm. she said there were quite a few fainters and quite a few vomiters as well yes a few vomiters I think it's weird because it's not necessarily for me it wasn't necessarily what we were looking at it was the smell. Okay, I'm so happy you brought that up. I heard I heard a rumor mm-hmm. or a myth. So 
they call like it's formaldehyde that they use to preserve the bodies. Yeah. Is it true that the smell of it makes you hungry? Yes. <laughs> and this is Oh god. I know it's it's What's the, that sensation like? Awful. It's awful because you'll be you go into the gaff, you have a 2-hour prac. The gaff is the um building with the cadavers. And you'd walk in, you know, you'd usually have breakfast before and then you'd see all of these organs and these muscles and parts of the body and everything. And you would get halfway through and you'd be like, my, I'm starving. Like my stomach is rumbling so much while you're looking at these body parts and you're like having this internal battle with yourself. Like, am I just disgusting? Mm. And I remember... Because I hadn't Did, heard that. Oh, so you didn't know that beforehand. No, I had not heard that. And I got through half of my first clinic with other Like people, a semester. Literally the first day. Oh, okay. In the gaff. And I was looking around at other people like, is everyone else feeling hungry? Or am I just like really sick in the head? Like, mm. I don't know what's going on. Um, but it's definitely a thing. I've even had listeners out there. If you're going into a health degree, you will. Yeah, you will. You will, and it's totally normal. Don't think that you're crazy. You're what not does a serial it killer. smell like? Um, I would describe it as quite an earthy, like chemical smell. If that makes sense, it's not okay. super. It's not like your chlorine, but it's definitely got a chemically mm. undertone. But it's quite earthy. Like it's not an amazing smell but it doesn't smell necessarily bad i think it's just overwhelming and it's not a smell that you would normally smell mm. so it's yeah it's a bit weird <laughs> i can't believe you had not heard that that would have been terrifying it was terrifying and i remember like pretty early on when did you find out so i actually because my um friend georgia she studied exercise physiology so she had done cadavers a couple years before I did them. And I remember messaging her after being like, just had my first lab. Am I fucked up for like being hungry right now? And she was like, no, it's a thing. Like, trust me, it's fine. I thought that I was messed up, but it is a thing. So mm. she made me feel better. Yeah. Um, and everyone else talked about it as well when we left. So it was fine. Even the tutors. This is... I'm so surprised they didn't warn you I beforehand. Know. I know. Well, I... Like, there's definitely... I don't know. I don't necessarily know how professional our tutor was, which is maybe why my opinion on the donating to science was different. Interesting. Um, so he, because how it works is there's the tutors and then there's also usually either like masters of speech or medical students kind of helping us because it, it, it's in our first year that we do the cadavers. Um so we, there's quite a few people in there. But then what would happen because of the tutor that we had is they would just have their own little conversations while we were trying to go around and look. And I remember there's one particular day, um, maybe halfway through the semester, where all that my tutor was talking about was eating a bacon and egg bagel <laughs> from Bagel Boys After. Oh, my God. <laughs> And it was literally the most, like, jarring experience because he's talking about that while we're trying to, you know, look at parts of a human. And it's like, 
I feel like this is maybe not appropriate thing to be talking about what right do you now. Re- was, do you reckon he was just like trying to dissociate from the experience? I think he's just, it's, and we've talked about, I've talked about this with some other allied health people. I think you become so desensitized to things mm. like that, that it's just like, it's just so normal. Like you'll mm. be talking about, you know, what you had for dinner over a, a body. Like, because it's just, you see it all the time, which is really strange. Even, like, I see, seeing some, like, intellectual disability and stuff, and I'll be telling stories to um, my housemate or my friends, and they'll say things like, oh, that's so sad, or, like, you know, if a particular thing's happened, they will comment on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, it is, but mm. I don't know. It's just so normalised now that you don't pick up on it as much. So I think maybe that's what's, what's going on with yeah. him. I'm going to hope so, because otherwise that man is just not... Deranged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> but it was interesting, um, and we did a lot of work with brains, because when I did my neuroanatomy course... Brains are scary. I yeah. had to do a um, in primary school a dissection on lamb a brain. Lamb brain. I did that too. It was uh, and like kids being kids were incredibly inappropriate. Yeah. Like to be fair, when I poked mine, it farted. Oh. <laughs> it was just like. <laughs> I think mine might have done that as well. <laughs> it feels a bit better that it's a lamb brain. Yeah. You know. Oh God! But it was just like. I couldn't. I know. I, I, growing up, I wanted to do, I wanted to do medicine actually. And I was kind of hell bent on being a surgeon. So I feel like that stuff to me is not Mm. really that bad. Like I don't get grossed out that easily. I have a pretty strong stomach, but the people that don't, oh my God, bless them. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Because it is, it is intense. Mm. What's um something that you wish you knew before starting speech pathology? Outside of formaldehyde making you hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I underestimated um, how much went into speech. So I, you know, I was relying a lot on the fact that I was quite good at English. Um, I have a logical brain, but I'm also quite creative. So I thought that I would be, you know all right with speech speech is has a lot of factors to it so you know you do need that creative side you do need that English side but a lot of it is science brain I didn't really realize how much science went into it which might have been a like something on my part because it's obviously a health degree there's going to be science and anatomy and physiology and stuff but it's not just physiology and anatomy relating to speech and you're not necessarily going to use it all so you know you've got things like cellular physiology and pharmacology and all of that stuff which you might not use but you have to study it in Mm. uni and that was quite weird because I think something about being at uni and paying for the degree that you're studying you're like everything needs to be relevant you know I'm doing this degree I'm putting my own time into it I'm paying for it and then they teach you these things that you're like when when am I ever going to use this like Mm. seriously 
But I also think speech is one of those degrees that you do need to put a lot of time into. There's a lot of practical work. Um, there's the subject load is quite heavy um, and it takes a lot of brain power. <laughs> Which, yeah, it does, yeah. you smarty. <laughs> I know, what can I say? Like, not saying that psych isn't like that. Psych is definitely, but um, you need to think a lot in it. But speech is just, it's a different way of thinking. And, you know, you need that critical thinking. There's so much planning. Like, I had my first, like, one of my first proper clinics um, end of last year where we had to do all the therapy planning and everything. And it was literally only one day a week, but I would take a whole day out of my week just dedicated to planning and doing session notes and, you know, doing reflections and emailing my prac educator because it literally just took that long. And that side of it is not necessarily my favourite. Mm. Um, but I think at uni, especially in an allied health degree, they really, really make you focus on writing really extensive notes, which is not going to be the case when you graduate but they kind of need to push that down your throat so that you get a bit better at it but yeah it is just quite it's quite a heavy field (laughs) 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 not complaining not complaining Mm. on that note we are about to run out of time Mm -hmm. so on the way out what is one thing you would like to tell either current speech pathology students or people who are thinking about studying speech pathology I think that it is a very underrated degree. Um, We are in dire need of speeches. The job, getting a job out of uni is almost way too easy. Um, It's a very small cohort, so you become quite close with the people in it, which is really, really nice. Um, And it, it feels like a community. So I really couldn't recommend doing speech more you know you get to interact with other allied health degrees as well it's very hands-on and you're going to feel like you're actually doing the job which is different to a lot of other degrees you're going to know if you like it or if you don't like it within the first year which is really cool so if i i couldn't i couldn't encourage it more really so everyone should definitely do speech pathology (laughs) (laughs) well emily thank you so much for coming in thank Thank you for being amazing thank you benny as always (laughs) um again listeners i apologize for my little two-week disappearance trust that i took the break i needed and i'm feeling refreshed and rejuvenated (laughs) (laughs) as always talker space approved extension is an extension of the talker space show that airs on z digital wednesday night at 7 p.m check it out for all of the latest and greatest for of university music artists and university culture and news again we love you guys we'll be back next week i promise (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Talker Space Approved Extension is the podcast that talks all things uni. We're bringing you chats about what it's like being a uni student, uni music, and the world of pop culture, as well as bringing you longer chats with the interesting people in Brisbane. Listen in every Friday morning on your favourite podcasting app. This podcast was recorded on Turrible land, always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. <laughs>